Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Gramps. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, and we are on day 2,124 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. Today we are continuing with our ongoing series of messages that I delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the past couple of years. This message is week six on a 14-week series from the book of James titled, Wisdom is Faith in Action. I pray that it'll be a conduit of learning and encouragement for you. Thanks for being here. I do appreciate it every Sunday that you're here with us in person, or if you're joining us online, I do appreciate you being here. We're continuing our series in James, Wisdom is Faith in Action. And as we continue this series, you remember that I refer to James as the Proverbs of the New Testament. That's what I think of when I think of the letter of James. And last week, we focused on how Christian lives cannot contain partiality and prejudice any more than oil and water can mix. They just don't go together. And our focus today is on faith and works. So if you'll join me on page 1882 in your pew Bible, or if you have your own Bible, turn to James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And as in the past few weeks... Keep the passage open while we go through the message today so you can follow along. So James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Oh, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without a spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now, I believe most of you have probably sung a song either in school or in church. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Well, in some church settings, we've also added a verse if, you saved, if you're saved and you know it, say amen. And then it continues. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. And as I was thinking about that phrase this week, it gave me time to just to pause a little bit. And I thought, Lord, does my life really show my faith that I profess? With all the things that I'm called to do daily as a believer in Christ, as a citizen of God's kingdom... What about all those things that cut crosswise against the cultural norms or what society expects? So I began to review my past in the last week, months, years. 
trying to determine, is my life consistent over those years really showing my faith? Though even a simple children's song can make us pause and ponder the deeper truths that are found in God's word. Someone once said that faith is like calories. You can't see them, but you sure can see the results of them. And that's the central theme that's resonating throughout James's letter. We can boil it down to one word, results. Authentic faith produces results in genuine work. Wisdom is faith in action. And nowhere does James more passionately argue this theme than in this passage today, chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. This passage forces us to answer the penetrating question. If we say we believe as we should, why do we behave like we shouldn't? So as we move on to verse 14, and we realize that this passage we're covering today is a central theme for the book of James, the entire book of James, we realize, we understand, come to know, that everything prior to this points to James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And everything after this in the book of James points back to James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. So James uses this as the apex, the top of a pyramid, you might think, of everything pointing to this passage that we're looking at today. Because the rest of it explains and goes into more detail of the, what we're learning in this passage. James asked two, two rhetorical questions, and we may not be, not be expecting an answer, but as James always does, he provides us the answer anyway. And the two questions are found in verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? And the second question is, can, you, can that kind of faith save anyone? James' question is like asking, what good is it to carry around your driver's license if you can't or don't actually drive? People may be called Christians and claim to be part of the faith, but do their genuine results in their lives prove that their confession is authentic to those around them? The old saying goes, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And so it is. And that's what James is asking. Quite frankly, James says that someone claims, who claims to have faith in Christ, but their life doesn't show it in the results of their faith, that their faith might as well be phony. The second question that he asked us, can this kind of faith save anyone, refers to a certain quality of faith, a faith that produces no, no fruit in their lives. And the implied answer to both of these questions is an emphatic no. In the form of the questions in the Greek that James is asking, these rhetorical questions actually demand a negative response, how they're written in the Greek. And for the rest of this section, James digs in deeper to the basic assertion that phony faith produces no works, and therefore it's not genuine saving faith. In verses 15 through 20, as we move on, James lays out four characteristics of genuine faith. The first characteristic, genuine faith is not indifferent, but involved in verses 15 and 16. 
Carefully consider this illustration. James is making it easy for his readers to decide whether you should help some of these people in need. And he's not asking these believers to throw charity at ungrateful heathens or wicked blasphemers. These are folks that are in need in this passage are genuine brothers and sisters in Christ who have a real need of food and clothing in verse 15. Now Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, so if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But these people in James' example didn't even have the basics of life. They were in dire need. And instead of providing them with clothing and food, James' hypothetical pretenders of faith sends these needy believers on their way with nothing other than a hollow cliche. And the New Living Translation says, they say goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But they don't do anything. And I guess that everybody has probably experienced some point in their lives where so-called brothers and sisters in Christ have not fulfilled a particular hurting time in your life. And maybe you haven't missed meals or clothing, but perhaps you've endured a pain and desperately needed comfort or to have a specific need met that required at least a caring ear or a shoulder to cry on. But instead, you felt a pat on your head and a heard a hasty platitude. Instead of reaching out for real help, those who could and should have stepped up did nothing to meet your need. We also see that's a two-way street. When we see others that are in need, are we willing to step up and help to meet their needs? And that's James' indictment here. James isn't alone in his sentiments. The apostle Paul, John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother and sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? And if there is genuine love, it reaches out to others. And if there is genuine faith, it produces acts of compassion. In James' definition, genuine faith is not indifferent, but it is involved. The second character trait, James urges that genuine faith is not independent, but in partnership. Verse 17. James says that the results or works always accompany genuine faith. If it doesn't have results, then that faith is dead. And by dead, James means it's useless, ineffective, and impotent. It's the opposite of the living, effective, vibrant faith that we're to have. In this verse, we might even put quote marks around the word faith because the so-called faith that has no works is phony in James's mind. The third characteristic is genuine faith is not invisible, but it's on display for people to see. Verse 18. James puts words in the mouth of his hypothetical person who may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. And the argument is subtle. The person who agrees with James claims to have a quiet, invisible, private faith. And you've met people like this. They say, well, I keep my faith to myself. I don't share it with others. I don't wear my religion on my shirt sleeve. To that person, a person like that, anyone who actually lives a life of faith by very being compassionate of others is a fanatic. 
But the challenge to a personal passive faith is valid. Genuine faith always displays itself. If you can't actually see it, how can anyone know that it actually ex exists? And it's not a show-off kind of faith where you say, well, look what I've done for these people. No, it's a humble assistance of others, even if no one else knows it other than the person you, you've helped, or even if that person doesn't know it, and you've given and helped anonymously. And the fourth character trait is genuine faith is not intellectual, but from the heart. James, in verse 19 and 20, he imagines yet another kind of person, a religious intellectual. This person knows all the facts and can recite the truth. He knows the scripture inside and out, but he doesn't really have a life that matches those facts. For example, he believes, there is one God, I believe that, verse 19. And that statement comes straight out of an ancient confession of Judaism called the Shema. From Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. So this person has his fundamental theology down. He's what others would look at, and man, he's a knowledgeable Christian. But it hasn't penetrated his heart. And it certainly hasn't gone from his heart to his hands and his feet into action. Those whose faith merely, is merely intellectual have much in common with an unlikely foe, and that's a demon or the demons. Only those whose lives exhibit genuine faith by visible works are better off than those demons. The demon's theology is impeccable. When Christ was driving them out of people they possessed, he says, I know who you are. You are the son of the living God. So the demons knew exactly who Christ was. It wasn't that the theology was off, it's that their works were abhorrent. In this analogy, we see that demons at least have enough sense of their own condition to tremble in terror. And after these four, four characteristics, James is driving his case home by repeating his thesis. James writes in verse 20, how foolish can't you see that faith without deeds is useless? The rephrasing of this statement, he also said in verse 17, helps us to understand what James meant by referring to that faith without works is dead. Those James doesn't say that the person without works is dead. He clearly states that faith without works is useless. It's as good as dead. And the point here is to encourage those people that aren't practicing their faith into faith-motivated living, not to stir doubts of their own salvation, but to encourage them to do what their faith should encourage them to. And let me put it in some practical terms. Suppose you have a family member or a friend who's lost his job, and he doesn't have any money to buy school clothes for his family, and you just got a big raise. And instead of opening your hand to your brother or friend, you just pat him on the back and say, well, I'll be praying for you, good buddy. Or let's flip that out. Put it in you in the other place. An unexpected illness hits your life. Say you or one of your family members got cancer. And the medical bills are just piling up and challenging you to stay afloat. But in instead of tapping into the benevolence fund at the church, to help you through this tough time, you get nothing but a card with the verse Romans chapter 8, verse 28 in it, 
And we know that God causes everything to work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. In each of these two cases, we see a specific need and the ability to meet that need, but useless, dead response. And in light of James' indictment, do these responses exemplify genuine faith? And once again, it's an emphatic no, they don't. And as we move on to verses 21 through 25, as a master teacher, James drives the point home with two biblical examples. True inward faith, demonstrated by obvious actions, though he has at his disposal a whole host of people in the Old Testament that he could bring as examples. James brings two examples that are radically different. First example he brings is Abraham. The next example he brings is Rahab. Can you think of two opposite people in the whole of the Old Testament? What about Abraham? Who was he? Well, Abraham was the father of the Hebrews. He was where every Hebrew pointed back to and say, we are children of Abraham. And who was Rahab? Well, she is not only a despised Gentiles, which the Hebrews did not like, she was a prostitute who was despised by her own society. What about Abraham? Who is he? He is a man of power and respect. Everybody in the Hebrew nation, the Israelites, respected Abraham because he was their father. He had his power and respect, respect from everyone. But who was Rahab? Rahab was not only a woman, and in those days was some, considered somewhat of a second-class citizen, she was also a woman of ill repute. Even her society looked down on her and scorned her. He was Abraham. He was the recipient of God's promises. He was the father of the nation of Israel, recipient of all God's promises that said, I will bless every nation through you, Abraham. But Rahab, who was not only a Gentile, was not one of the chosen people, she was a breaker of God's moral law that says that relationships, intimate relationships, are only within a marriage. Can we contrast, the contrast be any more stark than that? What a difference. They are two polar opposites. Yet in selecting those, these two to prove a point, James cast a broad net that captures everyone here today or anyone ever reads this verse, these verses. We're somewhere between a father of God's chosen people and Rahab the prostitute. So James casts this wide net saying that I'm speaking to all of you. And I'm using these two extremes to mark the distinct difference. So the James's message about faith and works applies to all of us. And the author of Hebrews also marveled at the faith exhibited by the actions of Abraham and Rahab. And he included those two people in his catalog of Old Testament believers who illustrated powerful testimonies 
of lives lived by faith. For example, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 says, It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his own son, Isaac. In Hebrews, a few verses later, chapter 11, verse 31, it says, It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people of her city, who refused to obey God. She had given a friendly welcome to the spies. James was not the only New Testament writer to see both Abraham and Rahab as examples of true faith. The author of Hebrews and James both emphasized that their works were done by faith. These verses tell the actions that resulted in a genuine faith within each believer, working themselves out in very practical, hands-on actions. And that brings us up to what I refer as to the Martin Luther conundrum. Martin Luther was the father of the Reformation. He broke out of the Catholic Church and started the Protestant movement. Well, he had a problem with the book of James. He thought it was too much about works, and he didn't even want it included in the Bible. He thought it should be excluded. And if you're familiar with the letters of Paul, you may see an apparent problem that just jumps out at this page. In verse 21, James writes, Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You might say, whoa, Nellie, let's stop. Let's consider this, right with God by his actions? Doesn't this contradict what Paul was saying in the Romans, his letter to the Romans? Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, said we are made right with God through faith and not obeying the law. How then could James says, so you see we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone, in verse 24. Does James deny the heart of the gospel of grace? Or did Paul get that completely wrong? And I would like to say that neither of them did. <clears throat> James is not disputing Paul, and Paul is not correcting James. These are two sides of the same coin. And to protect Ella today, I didn't bring a hard coin, so I made a coin of my own. So hopefully if it slips out of my hand, it won't hit anyone. But if you take your insert in your um, bulletin today, and on the side, it says Paul and James. I'm going down, go down through those. Paul was made right with God through faith, not obeying the law, Romans 8, 30, or Romans 3, 28. James, on the other hand, so you see, you are shown to be right with God by what you, we do, not by faith alone. Well, Paul says, we're declared righteous in the sight of God. James says, we're proved righteous in the sight of others. Paul says it shows how an unbeliever becomes a Christian, our faith. James says our faith, it shows how a believer lives as a Christian. Paul says that faith emphasizes the root of salvation. And James says that faith emphasizes the fruit of our salvation. Paul says it stresses our inward disposition. Paul, or James says, it stresses our outward actions. Paul says it demonstrates God's part with human participation as we ask God to be our Savior. James says it demonstrates the human 
part with God's participation as we ask him to help us minister, minister to others. And once we understand James's different approach, his illustration and actions of Abraham and Rahab start to make sense. The core commonality between both James and Paul is faith. One is saving faith. One is living faith. Paul is looking at the root of salvation. Oh, wrong one, wrong side. Paul is looking at the root of salvation. James is looking at the fruit of salvation. After the root is planted in our lives, then the fruit should be manifested in our lives as works after salvation. Another contrast between these two perspectives, Paul looks at it from God's perspective. James looks at it from a human perspective. Once we understand James's different approach, his illustrations and actions of Ahab and Abraham and Rahab, finally makes sense. James concludes this section on faith at the, the well, <clears throat> I'm almost missed examples of Abraham and Rahab. In the first example, we know that Abraham was a man of faith because we see the ultimate act of faith by obeying the commands of God when they made absolutely no sense. And I think even to this day, we squirm when we think of what God has asked Abraham to do the testing of his faith. We know, looking back, that God was going to stop Abraham from actually sacrificing Isaac, but Abraham didn't know that. He trusted in absolute goodness and power of God in spite of the incomprehensible command that he was given. Just think of it. Isaac was Abraham's one and only son, the one through whom God has promised that he would make Abraham and his descendants a great nation. And yet, it's one he asked Abraham to sacrifice to God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19 gives us a little insight of maybe what Abraham was thinking when it says Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back to, from the dead. He was offered a sacrifice, the lamb, in place of Isaac. Just as Jesus Christ is our lamb in place of our own punishment for the sin that we commit. And though we don't know how God could have kept his promise, or though he didn't know how God would have kept his promise through Isaac, Abraham exhibited for generations to come an absolute unswerving trust of God's goodness and power and James concludes, so you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Verse 24. Rahab served as James' second example. She was not an Israelite and therefore not a member of God's chosen covenant people. Yet she went out on the limb and believed that God, the God of Israel would keep his promise to Israel and deliver the city of Jericho into their hands. We learned that Rahab herself after this fact, became an Israelite. She joined the nation of Israel and, and took on their customs. And she was one of four Old Testament women included in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Think about it. A prostitute, a Gentile. And she became part of the lineage of God's son. 
What a remarkable example of lasting and authentic faith. And James concludes this section on faith is at work through his reiteration of his thesis. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also is faith without works is dead. And whenever we find separation, and we've seen so much of it even in our small congregation this year, so many lives that are no longer with us. And it's impacted us individually and as a body of believers. But true physical life, when the spirit is separated from the body, results in death. But that's also true of our Christian lives. When we don't have faith in works, we're separated one from the other. So the application in James chapter 2, verse 14 through 26, is we need to be feeding on a living faith. James' puzzling phrase that some people get hung up on, Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions, can sometimes distract us from what an extremely practical examples or principles in this section. So instead of di dissecting these words and saying, what do they mean? I encourage you this week to digest those words. Let's move from the pulpit here on Sunday to our dining rooms throughout this week. And let me offer you on the other side of the bulletin a five-course meal of making Jesus' message part of your balanced spiritual diet this week. I would encourage you to carve out a little time each day to be alone and think through these practical implications of James' emphasis on a faith that is genuine faith, on a fruit of your faith. And before clearing the table at the end of the five days, consider what you need to do in response to the questions listed here. The book of James is all about hands-on Christianity. He tells us to stop sitting on our hands and start using our hands and feet to show our faith. The next time, as our children's message so aptly put, the next time you have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, think about faith and works. They must go together. You can't have one without the other. The next time you season your food with salt and pepper, think about faith and works. They must go together for a properly seasoned meal. And I didn't have a nail large enough to demonstrate that, so we'll pretend the screwdriver is a nail. The next time you have a hammer and a nail and you drive that in, the nail is useless without the hammer. The hammer is pretty useless without the nail. Faith and works, they must go together, one with the other. They go together like a hand in a glove. As winter's coming on us, when you put your hand in the gloves, think about faith and works. That's what you need. That's what faith and works is. That's what James is teaching us in this lesson. That to have genuine faith, you also must have genuine works. And next week, our topic might even be more difficult for us to comprehend for most of us because it's about bridling our tongue, zipping our lips. Man, do we have problems with that, especially me. So I would encourage you to read James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 this next week as we prepare for our message next week on bridling the tongue. Let us pray. 
Father, we do thank you so much for your love, your goodness, your mercy to us. Help us to show our faith through our actions. Help us to seek out those who are hurting, those who are in need, those who just need an encouraging word given to them. Help us to show our faith with our actions. Help us to be ready that we don't even have to think about it, that it becomes part of our second nature, because it is, Father, our faith in Christ should be also a faith of action to our fellow man. Help us to do so, and may you receive the honor and glory, not ourselves. Pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's Word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend, as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. And as we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly, love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously, lead with integrity, and leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, reminding you to keep moving forward, enjoy your journey, and create a great day every day. See you next time for more wisdom from God's Word.